0: Have you discovered that about Jesus? Do you know him in such a way that whatever happens, you know that it can be well with your soul? Have you found that to be true? If you have your Bibles with you, let's open back up to the book of Mark together. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one uh, in the chair in front of you. Uh, We would love for you to open that one up with us. Uh, God's Word is powerful. It changes lives, it changes hearts, it grows faith, it gives faith a start. Um, We would love for you to open that blue one up with us. If you need a Bible, take that one home. If you know someone who needs a Bible, take that one to them. We just got, all those Bibles were on sale this week, weren't they Darren? And Darren scooped up a bunch of them. So we got plenty, take them home. Darren's always good about that. He's always finding us ways to save money. Uh, so please, take that one home. We love giving those away. If you know somebody who needs one, take one home. Take it as a challenge. Find somebody who needs one and give it to them. Throw it over your fence to your neighbor's yard. I don't know. Do something like that. Uh, We'd love to be part of that. Okay, Mark chapter 9. We're going to be starting in a moment in verse 14. Big number 9, little number 14 in just a moment. Uh, Judah, we're in Mark chapter 9. Judah is nine months old. My son Judah is nine months old. That doesn't seem possible, does it? Does not seem possible to me. And I love this age, nine months, because uh, at five months, he was just kind of a, a, a blob sitting there on the floor, can't do anything, right? It's so easy to take care of. At nine months, he's starting to learn how to, he's becoming mobile. Okay, he's becoming mobile. And that's a chunky little baby to be that mobile. Okay, he can really break some, get into some stuff. Mallory uh, sent me a picture while I was at work with his little feet sticking out of the kitchen drawers somehow. I mean, he got in there. That's the type of kid he is. And so we have constructed, we have constructed what we're calling Bubbaville Maximum Security Penitentiary. Okay, in our living room. We got him in there. It's one of those dog kennel type thing. Not a kennel. That sounds terrible. A gate. A, a fence. Okay. He's got air above him. Oh my. Good thing. <laughs> Mallory comes a second service. I'll get it right before she comes. Um, so that's, that's where we've got him. And he started to, started to climb the fence and he's getting up there, and his wobbly little legs, his big old head is just bobbing back and forth, and he's learning how to do things. And he's on this journey of discovering that he doesn't need mommy and daddy. For the next 18 years, that's going to be his journey. I hope. I hope he's not a 16-year-old, and we still have him in Bubbaville, maximum security penitentiary. But that's what he's doing. He's learning. He's discovering. He's on this journey to discover that he doesn't need mommy and daddy anymore. As a baby, he needs mommy and daddy. As an adult, he won't need mommy and daddy. That's the goal, and that's a good thing. But as with so many things in the Christian life, the spiritual world is the exact opposite. The spiritual world is the exact opposite. For faithful followers of Jesus, To grow in maturity is not to grow in the understanding that we don't need Jesus. To grow in spiritual maturity is not to discover that we need Jesus less and less, but to grow in spiritual maturity is to discover that we need Jesus more and more and more. Have you discovered that, Christian? Spiritual maturity for faithful followers of Jesus is not to need Jesus less and less, but to recognize our total need and dependence on Jesus for everything. And the longer I follow Him, when I look back on my path with Jesus, I've realized that I've needed Him more and more and more. All along the way. And so the big idea for today is to remind us that from front to back, top to bottom, A to Z, beginning to end, we desperately need Jesus forever. You with me? Let's pray over our passage of Scripture together and we'll read it after I pray. Father, open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart, to see the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, as we dive into this passage, help us to not be fooled. Help us to see clearly that we need Jesus now as much as we ever have. And we will never, never, never go a single day without a desperate, childlike need for the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. We love You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, how much do we need Jesus? Let's read together Mark chapter 9, big number 9, little number 14, and we're going to go to little number 32. I'll read aloud. Would you read with me in your Bibles? It goes like this. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw Him, were greatly amazed and ran up to Him and greeted Him. And He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? And it often, often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when He had entered the house, His disciples asked Him privately, why could we not cast it out? And He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And He did not want anyone to know. For He was teaching His disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And when He is killed, after three days He will rise again. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask Him. They still don't get it. They still don't get it. Okay, so what's going on here? Remember, last week, the previous passage, we saw the transfiguration. The glory of Jesus revealed to Peter, James, and John. Jesus shone like the sun. Jesus wore robes that were so white you could never bleach them. It's it's an otherworldly white. Jesus appearing with Elijah and Moses. And the glory of the Lord descending on them like a cloud and then a voice coming from the cloud. This is my son. Listen to him They're on the mountain. They see this glory. And lest we forget that there's still a mission to do, we go from the glory of the mountain and you come down and the real world hits again. There's arguing. There's sin. There's hatred. There's gnashing of teeth. There's demonic influence. There is tremendous suffering. There is heartbreak. There is self-righteousness. There is fear. There is hopelessness, disappointment, faithlessness, and even death. So lest we think that Jesus' mission is over once we saw the transfiguration, we are reminded that he's He has much work to still do and Jesus is come, they're coming down the mountain and this argument is so intense. The whole crowd is there to see Jesus. The disciples are waiting for Jesus. The scribes are here to test Jesus. But the argument going on is so intense, Jesus and the three stumble upon this crowd and they don't even notice Him. They don't even notice Him. And He says, probably to the scribes, what are you arguing with them about? Kind of a, hey, pick on someone your own size. What are you trying to do? I think the idea there is the scribes have the disciples all tongue-tied. And as Jesus asked this question, the disciples and scribes, get stand there, They're kind of dumbfounded. They've been caught. They've been caught. And then somewhere from in the crowd... A desperate voice. A voice rings out that is just oozing with desperation. What are you arguing about? Teacher! Teacher! I brought my son to you! I didn't find you. My son has this spirit, has this demon that causes him all kinds of suffering and pain. It convulses him. It throws him into fire. It throws him into water. It's trying to destroy him. That's what... The demonic powers, that's what the enemy loves to do. They can't destroy God, so they love to destroy the image of God and the gifts of God. Can you imagine this dad? As a dad with little kids, you're tired anyway. Imagine being a dad with this child who's had this for years, since childhood, he says Since little babies, as for years. Do you get any sleep at all? Do you worry about him waking up in the middle of the night and throwing himself in the fire? What's your life like? So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And that was the source of the argument because who loves seeing that? The scribes. The men sent from Jerusalem. The experts in the law. The experts in the Word of God. The so-called experts in the Word of God. See Everybody look, watch. Look at these mighty disciples of the mighty Messiah Jesus. They can't save this boy. See, we told you Jesus was an imposter. This is the man that you're going to place your hopes in. The father must have been absolutely devastated. Devastated. When he speaks to Jesus, is he kind of accusing him? I brought my boy to you, and you were nowhere to be found, and these bozos couldn't do a single thing. You can almost hear the, the hopelessness in his voice. Was Jesus not living up to what he had heard? Is this child, is my child, is my boy going to remain sick and possessed for his entire life until finally that demon destroys him for good? Is that my lot in life? And after after hearing this, Jesus turns to His disciples and says, oh, you faithless generation!" How long must I persevere with you? How long must I bear with you? Yeah, he's talking, this is, a, this is a faithless generation, we've seen that, but he is directing it to the people who have been faithless, the disciples. They have tried to cast out this demon and they have not accomplished it and it's due to their faithlessness. He calls the disciples faithless. What does that mean? In Bible time, our girls have learned the definition of faith is this. Faith is receiving and resting on Christ alone. That's a good definition of faith. Receiving and resting on Christ alone. And so if the disciples were being faithless, they were not resting on Christ alone. Whom were they resting? On whom were they resting? What's going on with the disciples? Why this harsh rebuke? Why couldn't they? uh, Why couldn't they cast out this demon? Why were they being faithless? Well, if you remember, this is why context is so important. This is why we read passages of scripture. This is why, when you read at home, I don't recommend you closing your eyes, reading one verse, and then being done with it. Read through books. Why? Because we will remember. If we read like that, we will remember chapter six. The disciples have been casting out demons. Jesus sent them away. He says, I'm giving you my authority. Go and cast out demons. So Jesus is up the mountain. This man comes. The disciples say, hey, we got this. That's their exact problem. Something has changed from chapter 6 to chapter 9. They were casting out demons in chapter 6, but now they aren't. Why? Because they are acting faithlessly. They have received this child, assured the Father of His healing, of being able to cast out these demons, but they were not resting on Christ alone. They were resting on themselves. I can do it. Bring Him here. I can do it. Let me assure you, I've got the power. What has happened is Jesus is gone. This man comes for his son to be healed. And the disciples think they've got it covered. Jesus is busy. I don't need to bug Him with it. God God the Father is probably busy. I don't need to bug Him with things like prayer. I've got it. Demon, get out. Doesn't happen. On display for the world, the Gospel is mocked. So we see in Jesus, after understanding this, that this display, they, they have the disciples who he's, he's trained and trusted and loved and lived with for, for years now have come up and they still don't get it. They don't understand that Jesus is the one, he is who they need. They need Him for everything. They still don't get it. They think that they can get a, a Jesus vaccine, get enough of Him to go out and do whatever they want to do, including doing seemingly good things, casting out demons under their own power. Jesus gives a cry of total exasperation, total heartbreak, total exhaustion, total weariness. Oh, you faithless generation! you faithless generation. How long will I still be with you? How long do I have left to teach you what you ought to know? You're not going to be with them very much longer. And this is a a great moment to understand the patience of Jesus Christ for you, Christian. Isn't that good news? How patient is Jesus with us? Some ignorant fishermen, some sinful tax collectors come and follow Him. He lets them come near to the Son of Man. He lets them be privy to information and miracles that no one else in the world is going to see. They they have it all. They have it all right before them. And yet, these men are a near constant source of frustration. They are ridiculously sinful at times. And yet, Jesus never casts them off. Isn't that good news, Christian? Not only that, Jesus will use these men to build His church. Isn't that great, church? Are you happy that God still uses sinful men and women to make eternal differences? And sinful men and women make up sinful churches. And God still uses sinful churches to see His name glorified and see sinners become faithful followers. So they bring so he says bring this boy to me. He brings the boy to him and we get a picture again of how terrifying Jesus truly is. This demon comes as soon as he sees Jesus starts convulsing, shaking this boy so terribly bad. This is a being, this demon is a being of such great power and knowledge and evil that our minds can't comprehend it. And if we were to see this being with our own eyes, we would be tempted to worship it. That's how powerful this being is. And one glance at the Son of Man terrifies this demon. Isn't that amazing? The power of our Savior To know Jesus and to be His enemy is to be hopelessly terrified of Him. And the God-man who terrifies evil. Get a load of this. The God-man who terrifies evil is willing to take the punishment for your evil. What kind of a man is this? How, How blessed are we to have found the grace of God this God man who terrifies evil desires for you to call him friend and dad. Wow. The Spirit seized Jesus and threw the boy into a violent shaking fit, foaming at the mouth, grinding his teeth. And as this is happening, he's spilling out on the floor. All these things happen. Going rigid, grinding his teeth, foaming from the mouth. This demon is shaking him so violently. All this is happening right here. And this conversation is going. I'm sure the father rushes to him. Does, his, does what he's done for this boy for, for years and years and years. I don't, whatever it is to try to calm this boy, to try to help this boy. He goes into his routine and this conversation happens. And he looks up at Jesus as if you can do something. Be compassionate and help us, if you can. If he only knew, he was speaking to the one who created all things. If he only knew, he was speaking to the one who created the cells of that boy's body. If he only knew, he wouldn't ask if you can. If you can, if you if you can show compassion. If he only knew he was speaking to the man whom the psalmist will say is so compassionate, he collects your tears and puts them in his bottle. That's how compassionate he is. Not a single tear you cry will fall to the ground without him caring. He collects your tears and puts them in a bottle. He knows what you're going through. He is compassion free. If He only knew. If, if, if you can help us. If He only knew He was speaking to the man who will help millions of men and women be justified, forgiven, inherit eternal life, and one day rise from the dead. If He only knew. Can? So Jesus answered him, If I can. All things are possible for those who believe. If I can, the healing of your boy does not hang on my ability to help. It hangs on your ability to believe. There are times in life that we miss the power of God not because He is unwilling to act not because he is unable, but because we don't ask in faith. That's scary. Isn't that a scary thought? I mean, how much power, how much blessing have we missed out on in life because God is willing and God is able, but we do not ask in faith. I like to think of it like this. When my girls wake up in the wake me up in the middle of the night for a glass of water. Kind of reminds me of this. Sometimes He is unwilling when we ask so we don't receive. That happens a lot, doesn't it? Sometimes God is unwilling. There's a better plan for us. We ask for something. He doesn't give it to us, that's because it's better for us. So it's like the girls wake up. I hear Charlotte calling me, "Daddy, daddy." I come in. she says, "Daddy, I want a Dr. Pepper." Daddy, will you bring me a glass of Dr. Pepper? Daddy is able to do that. Daddy is unwilling to do that. Sometimes God is willing, but we don't ask at all, so we don't receive. Bailey, rolling around in bed, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. And her daddy would certainly be willing to get up in the middle of the night, get her a glass of water, and bring it to her. But if she just lies in bed thirsty without saying a word, I won't. Of course, all comparisons between me and God break down, right? But I hope you get the point. And sometimes, He is willing, but we ask without faith, so we don't receive. Asking without faith is asking while not relying on Jesus alone. That kind of conversation might go like this. Daddy, daddy, I rush in. What's wrong? Daddy, I picked up all my toys yesterday, so you owe me a glass of Dr. Pepper. Now go get it for me. That ain't going to get you Dr. Pepper. That is not asking correctly. That is not asking in faith. And sometimes he is willing and we don't ask at all, but we still receive. Isn't that right? Sometimes I'll walk past their room and see them tossing and turning in bed and bring them a glass of water, even if they don't ask for it. Isn't our God wonderful? If I can, all things are possible for those who believe. Your boy is not is being your boy being healed is not hang on my ability to help, but your ability to believe. And he says one of the most tremendous things phrases I believe help my unbelief I'm getting some head nods you've been there I believe help my unbelief this expresses distress and humility and understanding he gets what Jesus is coming to is coming from he gets what he's saying but he also understands he doesn't have the ability to believe he doesn't have what Jesus is asking for. He looks in his heart. He knows what Jesus is calling for. And he, he, has, the, he has the self-examination. He can see that he doesn't have it. I believe. I, I help my unbelief. My boy relies on it and I don't have it. Whatever Jesus needs, whatever faith Jesus needs is not in me i believe help my unbelief and jesus upon hearing his humble declaration he says he steps in that the absence of faith jesus supplies whatever was gone there jesus supplies because it happens you mute and deaf spirit i command you come out and never enter him again and it convulses the boy so terribly that everyone thinks he's dead probably think it broke his neck that's the that's the violence through which this happens if we just just leaving it at that boy that would be depressing the scribes would have even more ammunition well at least those guys they couldn't do anything but they left him alive you killed him Think about the conversations going on there. The shock. The boy's dead. Jesus approaches the lifeless looking boy. Jesus, I love this. We see this often in Scripture. Jesus takes him by the hand, lifts him up, and get this wording, and he arose. Amazing. Then we get a conversation where the disciples. to think how sheepish these guys are. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be humble eventually. Are you with me? To follow Jesus, you're going to lose that pride. It's going to be rough. How many times have we seen this happen with the disciples? They kind of come in this house. They're really sheepish, and they're kind of. Uh, part of them's going, "Whew! I'm glad Jesus showed up." And they say, "Jesus, what? Why couldn't we? We know. We know we were faithless, but why, why couldn't we cast this one out?" Jesus says, this one, he says, this one cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What's Jesus emphasizing again? They were faithless, they were relying on their own power. What is prayer other than a cry out to God that we desperately need him? Prayer is a lifeline confessing our need for Jesus Christ. Every time we pray. Every time time we pray. A sure sign that we are not relying on Christ alone, a sure sign of faithlessness in faithful followers of Jesus is a lack of prayer. The disciples were so confident in their own power that they didn't rely on God. Get this. How? You would fire this pastor immediately. The the guy comes in demon-possessed they're going to cast them out. They don't even pray. They don't even pray. That's faithless. We would at least pray, I would hope. And so what we see is we just saw a parable of a resurrection. We see a parable of the resurrection and then Mark attaches. To make sure we see this clearly, Mark attaches 30 and 32 where he shows us the ultimate object of our faith <laughs> is the crucified and resurrected Son of Man. You must trust Him alone for salvation. Just in case we think we can trust the God, the, the Jesus, the God-man on the mountain of transfiguration, I'll trust that guy. No, no, you get the whole package. You trust the transfiguration, Jesus. You trust the casting out demons, Jesus. And you trust the crucified, buried, and resurrected Jesus. you got to trust the whole thing. That is faith. That is faith. And we see yet again, and we get tired of reading it. We see yet again, the disciples hear this, and they still don't get it. They still don't get it. What do we need they need jesus to supply the faith that they are lacking but now at least they're smart enough to say i'm not asking him there's a little bit of progress okay so we started out this by by talking about our need for jesus must be like judah's need for his parents but it never stops we never grow out of it So Mark, I believe one of the main points of Mark is to remind us, he's writing to a church in Rome to remind us of our desperate need from front to back, top to bottom, A to Z, beginning to end, and forever, our desperate need for Jesus. Now, we might have the Sunday school answer, yeah, I know, I need Jesus, that's a temptation. But do we really understand how deep we really need Him? Mark reminds us that we desperately needed Jesus at the very beginning of our faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. The disciples have been with Jesus for years and they don't have the faith to believe. We needed Jesus desperately at the very beginning. We are reminded That you and I, we have never made a single positive movement spiritually without the power of Jesus. Are you with me? We have never made a single positive spiritual movement without the power of Jesus. Doesn't matter if you're casting out demons, doesn't matter if you're believing for the first time, the power of Jesus makes that possible. Makes that possible. The boy was going to be healed, not based on what Jesus could do, but based on belief, based on faith. And did he have necessary faith? No. Jesus supplied what was missing. And he couldn't just drum it up. Think hard. Pray hard. Do these things. Do it on your own effort. Think real hard. Come on, believe. Just believe. Just do it. It can't happen. He needed Jesus to supply it. So he didn't have this faith. His boy was riding on it. Can you imagine how desperate that is? Jesus says, I need faith, and I know my own heart. I don't have it. Please, Jesus. Please. In desperate recognition of his sinful heart, of his faithlessness, he knows he lacks what Jesus was after. And so he throws himself as far on Jesus' grace as we possibly can. Jesus, I don't have the faith necessary. Please give it to me. And he did. And we don't know if this is saving faith. We don't know if this man went on to be part of the church in Jerusalem. We don't know the end of his story, but he was lacking faith and Jesus supplied it. Christian, when you came to Christ, the same was true for you. This is how good the grace of Jesus is. Your faith doesn't bring God's grace. God's grace brings you faith. Do you see how important that is? You see how important that is? So just a further reason while one of the pastors that I really like says one of the, just a further reason why no one will walk with a swagger in heaven, but no one will walk with a limp as well. Why? Because it's all Jesus. So none of us are going to be able to say, wow, I am faithful. I could take pride in my faith. You can't do that. Why? Even the faith that you have to believe is a gift from God. The clearest verse for this, one of our favorite ones, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. What's he saying there? You don't work for it? And guess what? Even your faith is not your own doing. It itself is a gift from God. Isn't that beautiful? The grace of God. We need Jesus down, 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 down to the very core, don't we? And every time we get to the very core, what happens? We pull away a layer and we need Jesus even deeper. very beginning, we needed Jesus. the very beginning, we needed Jesus. We mustn't take glory from Jesus by thinking that I am the source of the faith that saves me. Jesus is the source of faith. It's all Jesus. We need Jesus at the beginning. You with me? But when He, Galatians 1.5, when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace, do you need Jesus for that? Could you set yourself apart before you were born? No, you needed Jesus there. He set you apart and called you by His grace. Ezekiel 36.26 And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Do you, make, do, you do your own heart surgery? No. He gives that to you. You need Jesus at the beginning. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Faith. We need Jesus from the very beginning. We need Jesus in the beginning. We need Jesus at the middle. We need Jesus here in the middle. The disciples thought they graduated from Jesus onto bigger and better things. He empowered them to cast out demons before. I must still have this power. I'm onto bigger and better things. And they fell flat on their face. They brought discredit to the name of Jesus and brought hurt to other people. Because they thought they moved on from Jesus. Christian, you need Jesus now in the middle. It is a dastardly trap the enemy has set before us to tempt us to believe that the Gospel of Jesus is what saves us and then we graduate to deeper things of faith. It's a trap to believe we don't need to hear the Gospel proclaimed every single Sunday. I pray and I hope I'm going to stand before God. So I pray this is true. I pray you hear the good news of Jesus from this pulpit every single Sunday. Because we never graduate. We never graduate from the basic understanding of who Jesus is. The cross is a PhD. It's not kindergarten. We think it's kindergarten. We think the cross, my girls at children's church, they're going to color in the cross and then we're going to do big boy stuff in here. No. You never, 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 never graduate from the cross of Jesus Christ. Disciples thought, I had Jesus. Now I've got this. I'm doing good things. You never. Christian, if you're doing miracles, if you're leading small groups, if you're preaching sermons, if you're doing great things for Jesus, but you are not connected to Jesus, you are not faithfully following Him. We need Jesus in the beginning. We need Jesus in the middle. We need Jesus. We need to be reminded that we need Jesus at the end. Is there not a louder alarm bell for the living than a dead body? Dead bodies in the gospel scream out, pay attention, pay attention. The little boy seeming dead in the sight of the crowds the disciples, the scribes, and the father is a clear parable. This will be you soon. This will be you soon. When I perform funerals, the thought always invades my mind, Are you ready? This could be you tomorrow. I hope when you go to funerals, you think the same thing. This, are you ready? Death is the ultimate parable. It is universal. It ambushes us. It is evil. It is unexpected. It is devastating. It is devastating. It doesn't just stay with our physical bodies, marriages die. Relationships with family die. Joy dies. Your commitment dies. Your perseverance dies. Your prayer life dies. Your peace can die. We need to be saved from death. Who can save us from this bondage of death? What do we need? We need the author of life. We need Jesus at the beginning. We need Jesus in the middle. And we will need Jesus at the end. What do you need more than anything in the world? You need Jesus to fix death for you. And the touch of Jesus raises the dead. After crying out and convulsing Him terribly, He came out and the boys like a corpse. So most of them said He is dead. But Jesus took Him by the hand and raised Him up. What's the parable? You're going to be dead soon. Jesus is dead life. Mark 5, we saw this already. He took the little girl, the little dead girl by the hand, and immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Luke 7. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those surrounding, stood, carrying it stood still. Young man, he said, get up. And the dead man sat up. John, as he tells us his vision in Revelation, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though he was dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and he lived. Just as the dad carries his son to Jesus, please, please, have compassion. Save my son. Don't let him die. Touch him and heal him. Just as the Father does that. Have you brought your own death to Jesus and begged Him to touch you? And to raise you from the dead. Have you brought your marriage? Have you brought your dead marriage to Jesus? Jesus, please touch it and bring it back from the dead. Have you brought your relationship with your kids to Jesus? Jesus, please touch it and raise it from the dead. We need Jesus at the beginning, at the end, and in the middle. Faithful followers of Jesus discover that maturity in the faith is not needing Jesus less, not needing the cross less, not needing needing forgiveness less, but discovering we are like my son Judah, totally dependent on Jesus from top to bottom, beginning to end, A to Z, and we need Him this way forever. Worship team, will you come and join me? Do you understand the depth of your need for Jesus? What in your life do you need to bring to Him like that Father brings His Son? Jesus, please touch My Son and heal Him. Please, take this. Please, I don't have the faith to do it. You must do it. Please, Jesus, have you thrown yourself on the grace and mercy of Jesus? You need Him. You need Him. And He is there for you.